for those who don't know me, my name is Don and I'm bringing the reading for you this morning. My mother named me many years ago after a famous cricketer who was uh, making lots of runs for Australia at the time. And uh, I inherited his name but sadly didn't inherit his cricketing skills. So, so please follow with me as I bring uh, the reading this morning. It's coming from Colossians 3, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcision, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. I think that feedback's coming from this. You do too? So I'm going to kill. Leave it on? Sure. For those of you who can't see, he went like this. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray now that you'll be pleased to speak to us and shape our thinking and our choices and our lives by these truths. For many of us, Lord, these truths are familiar. So I pray not that you might simply inform us, but that you might transform us, that we might be doers of your word. Assist us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Gary, sorry to be... Can you put... No, no. All right. If you've got your Bible in front of you, I just wanted to take a few seconds before we sort of jump into this talk to point out to you some of the key parts of the language because verses 1 to 4 are transitional. Um, he's just finished chapter 2 where he's stuck a pin in the balloon of the false teachers who have all sorts of regulations to try and help them overcome their vices. And Paul has basically said that all these regulations appear to be helpful, but in fact they are useless. They don't help at all. So now he's going to go on and to give instructions for followers of Jesus of what is helpful then to overcome our vices and to develop virtues as we follow Jesus. But it's all hinged upon these verses 1 to 4, where the Apostle Paul says, verses 1 and 2, this is now in the present, since then you've been raised with Christ, 
back in chapter 2 and verse 20, he says, you died with Christ. So in his argument, you died with Christ and there are consequences. Now you've been raised with Christ and so there are consequences. And he's going to talk about those. Um, Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, heavenly things, where Jesus is, not on earthly things. Why? Well, in the past, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You became followers of Jesus. And in the future, verse 4, and when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. So the Apostle Paul is saying, very simply, because something significant has happened in your life, you've become, you've converted, you've become a follower of Jesus. Therefore, seek things that are above. Seek him in all that you were doing. Because in the past you were converted, a one-time event, a specific event or action, which has had ongoing consequences into your current life. And in the future, the process will be completed when you will be revealed with him, with Jesus, in glory. Just as he will be revealed in glory, so you will be identified with him and be glorious as well. New resurrection body, robes of righteousness, and perfected to be just like him. That's our future hope. And in the meantime, between conversion and between the rapture, between Jesus' coming, we are to, verses 1 and 2, set our minds on things above, seek those things which are above. And then the Apostle Paul will go on to outline for us, well, how do we do that? How do you seek things that are above? Well, there's a put-on and there is a put-off. There are things to remove, verse 5 and verse 8. Put to death, therefore, what belongs to your sinful nature, your earthly nature. Verse 8, but now you must rid yourselves of these things. And then verse 10, and put on these things. Last week I gave the analogy of Jesus in chapter 2. Both of these pictures are in chapter 2. Uh, that we, because we've been born in a sinful world and because we have sin nature that permeates every part of us, there's no getting away from it. It's like we have been put in a prison, the doors have been locked, we've been chained to the wall and there is a record of our sins against us. In chapter 2, but Jesus has come. He's come into our world. He's opened the doors of the prison. He's removed our chains from the wall and he's blotted out the record that was against us and he's invited us to follow him were set free from the power of sin which once held us. He also uses the analogy that because you have chosen to follow him, you've decided to become a Christian of a, uh, and to accept his offer. Use that microphone. No. I shall obey. Catch. What was I saying? Because we've become a Christian, because we follow Jesus. The analogy is like in Romans 6, which is a great parallel to Colossians 3. We died with him. When he died on the cross, we died in him. Our sins penalty has been paid. He was buried. We get buried with him in baptism. When somebody dies, you bury the body. Your life is hidden. It's dead. We hide it. Our life is now hidden in Christ. 
We've been buried with him and just as he was raised from the dead, so we have been raised with him. We have said goodbye to the old life and we have risen to a new life. Therefore, because we have walked out of the prison, because we're following Jesus, we're following him into a new life, let that new life manifest itself in your life by the choice. It's not automatic. You don't just sit back and Jesus will transform you automatically. He will work in you, but you've got to cooperate. You've got to say yes to what he wants to do. And as you cooperate with him, so you'll find your life being transformed. That the sins you once committed will lose their attraction and they will decrease. You will not get rid of all sin, not in this life, but we will continue to work on those sins. I like the analogy, like in my footpath, which is reality right now, there are weeds growing up through the pavers and through the little stones that we have on our path. And when I look at that, I see these weeds, which are about that big. And when I go along and pull those weeds out, I think, oh, that's good. Then what do you see? weeds that are that big which you don't notice beforehand you notice the big ones not the little ones so then you go and pull these weeds out and then what do you notice flopping ones this big it's endless and I pull them out today and guess what they're back next week so I send Rhonda out I got a whip it's pull those weeds out that's what it's like for us and now in this chapter, the Apostle Paul has a third picture. Not only have we been set free from the prison of sin, not only have we been died and buried and raised with Jesus to walk in newness of life, now he says in this newness of life, it's a bit like in our old life, we have these old dirty clothes on. And we're to take off those clothes. And now we are to put on new clothes, which he outlines for us here in this chapter. And in fact... In the early church, about 2nd, 3rd, 4th century, the early church when they were baptizing people, the men would get baptized with the men and the women would get baptized with the women because they did that literally. You turned up to your baptism in your old earthly clothes, could have been tattered and torn, grubby, unclean. You took them off. You were baptized naked. And when you came out the other side, they gave you a white, pure robe, symbolizing the robe of righteousness. What they were demonstrating visibly was what's happening spiritually. Put up your hand if you think we should reintroduce that practice. Three or four. Sinful people. So now let's look at verses 1 to 4 because that's the foundation and then work our way through the chapter. I hope you have your Bible in front of you and I encourage you certainly to bring it either on your tablet, your phone or the original copy, paper copy. <laughs> It'll be very helpful. I don't tend to, I don't know how Gary did that but that's very clever because I don't know how to do that with my keynote skills. So I've called this message, Out of the Tomb and Live Looking Up. We are out of the tomb. Jesus came out of the tomb. We are risen with him. Live looking up. So who are we in these new people as we come out of the tomb? Verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul says that because you've been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above. 
To seek obviously means that there is effort. Make it your aim, your ambition, your outlook to be centred on him. If I combine the two analogies, take off the orangey-browny prison clothes that you once had and put on the new robes of righteousness and seek him. Orientate your will. Direct it not towards self and sin, which is still a force and still a presence in you, but intentionally refocus your mind and thought and choices on him. When tempted to, eat, to do evil, when tempted to sin, don't try to resist it. Rather, refocus on him. Redirect your attention on things above, where he is. Focusing all of your life on the Lord Jesus. Keep aiming to please him. Paul goes into verse 2 to expand that by saying, set your mind on things above. Again, it's a choice. Orientate your way. Just as you were linked with sin in a previous life, your before Christ's life, so now you are linked with him in his new life. Setting our minds on things above is not simply an academic thing, it's not just the way we think, but it includes our choices, it includes our aims and our motives. Focus on him. Let's wake up in the morning and it's focus on him. Good morning, Lord. Let's put your head on the pillow at night to go to sleep and say, good night, Lord. Begin the day, end the day and live the day focused on him in all that you're doing. Turn your mind to him in the midst of busyness at work, in the midst of parenting at home. Send up telegram prayers asking for help, but talk to him, converse with him about all that's going on in your life. We continue to live, even though we have risen with Jesus, we continue to live as humans in this body, on this planet, under the influence, certainly of gravity, but also of sin and of Satan spiritual forces God is the one who made this body but it's now been captured it's been tarnished it's fallen and it's flawed if we do nothing then our life will automatically orientate towards the flesh so it's this constant choice a daily choice responding to his empowering within us because as he says in verse 3 you have died and your life is now hidden buried in Christ with God died is that something happened and you can date it it's a specific occasion when united with Christ now I know this is not true for everybody that not everybody can specifically date when they died but we usually can when someone dies the doctors will give time of death and issue a death certificate so for some of you, if not for perhaps many of you, you're going to be like me. I have a date and a time and a place. 15th of January, 1973, four o'clock in the afternoon is when I said yes to Jesus. That's when I became a believer. That's when I died to self. That's when I was born again. That's when I was given new life in him. My kids can't do that. They don't have a specific day and time and place. Because when they were born into the world, they were born to Christian parents and we prayed for them and we talked about Jesus with them and we always took them to church and we read the Bible and devotions with them and Jesus has been always there for them. But there still has to be a certain point, a transition, where throughout their life there's going to be a multiple number of times they've committed their life to him. 
they can certainly date their baptism. But their conversion story is not a specific point in time, but it's rather something happened. And they know now, looking back, that they follow Jesus. They're born again and they live in him. Maybe that's true for you too. For all of us, as we follow Jesus, we have died with him. We've died to ourselves, to our sin, to us wanting to dominate our life and do things our way. We died to that. We buried it. And now we are to live out. We are to make choices accordingly. When I became a believer in the Lord Jesus, in a very small country town, we had a, a small Baptist church and there was... Um, um, an Aboriginal influence in the church and so we used to have guitars and we used to sing a lot of gospel type country songs they were the good old days there was this one song goes like this and I'm not singing it I'm just reading the words things are different now something happened to me when I gave my life to Jesus do you know that song do you know this one my Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. Strength for today is mine always. And all I need for tomorrow. Great words, aren't they? If you come up to me later and ask me very especially, I might even sing it for you. <laughs> Things are different because of Jesus. And they're meant to be different if you follow Jesus. And your life is now hidden in him. It's an interesting expression the Apostle Paul uses, hidden. It's, it's real, it's ongoing, it has permanent effects, but it's hidden. There's a dimension to our reality of who we are which is not obvious to others and sometimes to us. Who we are in Jesus is a little bit hidden and it's become increasingly obvious and revealed as we mature and grow in him but the reality is our security is in him my new life is in him and one day he will come I already share that heavenly life I get a glimpse of it I get a foretaste of it now and it's often in the context of a gathering like this a church service where God's people gather together that we get a glimpse a taste of what it's going to be like not all the time but sometimes and hopefully for you often we have been transferred from the kingdom of sin and we are now being transformed into his image and the wonderful hope is verse 4 when Christ who is our life our life is now inseparably linked with him when he is revealed when the curtain is drawn back and he appears in glory at his return then we who are in him and our life is in him at the moment it might be hidden but then we will be revealed with him in glory and everybody will know we are with him and we will be glorified with him that's our future but for now Paul goes on to say in verse 5 for now what you need to do is seek him set your mind on him and there are some choices to make verse 5 put to death therefore 
what is earthly in you. And he gives a very specific list. Here is another picture that I guess comes to my mind as I think about this. When we become followers of the Lord Jesus, he gives us a bath. Not just the baptism, but a bath in, or a shower in terms of he cleanses us. Gives us a manicure, trims our nails, gives us a haircut, gives us a shave, puts us in new clothes and then releases us into the world. But of course, in the world, we'll get scrubbed up again, dirty again. We might even rip our clothes. Our nails will grow. Our hair will grow or fall out. We'll need to shave again. And so this process of cleansing and maturing is something we need to keep returning to him for cleansing, for manicuring, for fixing up. And he sends us out again. It's a continual cycle like that. And so that's the analogy the Apostle Paul is using in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is in you. Remove it. Take off the old clothes. Put on the new clothes. Not once. Regularly. How often do you change your clothes? Daily. We'll do this daily. For some of you, you'll change a couple of times a day. Well, same with this. This is the analogy. Put to death what is therefore earthly in you. It's a bit like I remind you of what the Lord Jesus says. If your right hand causes you to sin, what do you got to do to it? Cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Now, Jesus doesn't mean that literally. He's using the same type of analogy here. Serious, sacrificial decisions have to be made to say no to sin. And yes to righteousness, yes to following him. Well, the Apostle Paul lists five sins for us, very common lists of vices in the ancient world. He says, firstly, in verse 5, sexual immorality in the NIV. It's pornia in the Greek. It's a very general word, which means any unlawful sexual activity. Any unlawful, inappropriate sexual activity. So it covers premarital sex, fornication. It covers postmarital inappropriate sex, adultery. It'll cover, in our day and age, pornography, affairs and flings. Put it to death, Paul says. Don't let you don't be associated with it as you follow the Lord Jesus. This sin was rife in the ancient world. And this is one of the distinguished remarks of Christians, that they became sexually pure, sexually different. They became faithful to one person, their spouse, and they didn't sleep with anybody else. No temple prostitutes, no close relatives or anything else, which everybody else seemed to be doing. Secondly, he says impurity, which is, again, a very general term. It's the natural lusts which we have committed in our previous sinful, non-pre-Christian lives where we want to satisfy ourselves, whether it's with luxurious or profligate living or with whatever it is. Any form of impurity, any form of uncleanness, moral inappropriateness, passions. Thirdly, the Apostle Paul is talking about those people who are dominated by their emotions, 
their depraved emotions, shameful passions, again, sexual excesses, or evil cravings, he says, lusts, number four. The desire for wrong things. And then finally, he encapsulated all with the word covetousness. In the NIV, it's greedy. It's the desire to have more. And it's particularly the desire to have more that I don't have a right to have. So it's inappropriate desiring of things that I ought not to have. So if I want more money, it may lead to thieving. If I want more honour, then it may lead to me being overly ambitious. It's the sin of acquiring material things in the extreme. The Christian church throughout the centuries has been very good at pinpointing and pointing the finger at the first four sins. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust and evil desires. But very weak when it comes to pointing the finger at the sin of covetousness. We're very soft on holding each other accountable to it. Particularly in our affluent world. More shoes, more clothes, more books, more DVDs, more CDs, more songs, more houses, more paintings, more cars. Be very careful, brothers and sisters, of committing this sin. Luke 12, 15, the Lord Jesus says, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. None of us are exempt from it, not in our world. It's very hard to be godly and to be rich. Not impossible. Just very difficult. 1 Timothy 6.17 gives the warning that many people who have striven to be rich, to be wealthy, to be affluent in this life, have pierced their souls with many painful things. And some have even drifted from the faith. Greed and covetousness. It's an insidious danger for us because it assumes many respectful forms. But because of that, it is all the more dangerous. It's where we stop seeking the creator and we start seeking the creature. Things of this life. Nothing wrong with it. But when it displaces our devotion and our obedience to him, it's become, that's the old way of life. You're going back into the prison, you're putting the old clothes back on. You're not setting your mind on things above. You're worshipping mammon, not God. And Jesus says you can't do both. You can't serve God and mammon. Make a choice. And then the Apostle Paul says very bluntly, very clearly, because of these, these sins, the wrath of God is coming. God's wrath, his anger against men and women for making these sinful choices and rejecting him where God will punish them and they will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is God's wrath? It's his response to our sinful choices. It's pure justice. It's God's displeasure at evil. It's his passionate resistance to those who resist him. It's not vindictive. It's not uncontrolled. It's not a temper tantrum. It's not revenge, but it is retribution. One author says it's the inevitable process of cause and effect in a moral universe. 
Imagine this. God's wrath is the removal of God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, God's goodness, God's kindness, God's patience. That's removed. And you are left facing a being who is a sovereign creator, who is all-powerful and pure justice, absolute holiness, who is calm and in full control, and who will objectively and accurately dispense his punishment and his judgment against the guilty. The wrath of God is coming. Like a tsunami. It's unstoppable. Except for those in Jesus. Our life is hidden with him in glory. When he is revealed, we will be revealed with him in glory and we will be delivered from the wrath of God. That's the choice. We need to make that choice to follow Jesus, to be delivered from the wrath to come. Verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, that's how you used to live before you came to know Jesus. Verse 8, but now get rid of these things as well. And he gives another list of five things. Rid yourselves of these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And verse 9, do not lie to each other. Leave these behind. Take off these clothes. Anger. The settled feeling of hatred towards another. Rage is that quick temper, that flaring up, that uncontrolled outburst. That you probably know people who say, oh, that's just the way I am. I just flare up and then it settles down again very quickly. And Paul says, get rid of it. Bury it. Malice is the deliberate intention to harm another. Slander is to defame another person's character. Gossip or backstabbing. Filthy talk or foul language is what we would call swearing. It's obscene. It's an abusive. Get rid of these things out of your mouth. Don't lie to one another. We are to speak the truth in love. Somebody has said, before we say something to somebody else, we ought to answer three questions. Is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? If it's not true, don't say it. If it's not necessary, don't say it. And if it's not kind, find a way to say it lovingly. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? This is an issue for us, brothers and sisters, in our church. This is an area where the Lord particularly wants us to grow. The last two or three weeks, I've had numerous pastoral examples of exactly this sin in the body, where somebody comes and tells I, I get the end of the story where somebody is coming and telling me that somebody else has said this about them, but that person has not spoken to them. What should they do? I'll just do what the Bible says. Matthew 18:15 is a passage of scripture that we are poor at and we need to get better at. We can only get better at it if we do it together. We have to do it together. 
Matthew 18:15 says Jesus says if your brother sins against you if your brother sins if you see your brother sin or sin against you go and speak to them that's where we fail somebody sins somebody does something wrong we don't tell them we tell them don't we or them and them and them and them but we don't tell them and then one of them will tell him or her we've got to stop it we've got to cut it out how do you cut it out well we agree together when somebody comes to you and says something about somebody else and stop them immediately and ask them have you spoken to that person and if they say no then you either say to them come with me we're going to go and see that person straight away that's the first thing that'll be tough won't it or say to them go and see that person don't talk to me go talk to that person I'm going to give you a period of time to do it how long do you want a day two days three days a week and in two days three days or a week whatever the time is I'll come back and I'll ask you have you spoken to that person and if they say no well then it's well then you and I will go see them now that's the only way we'll stop it that we together stop it uh, I'm part of this church I'm part of this flawed environment I do it so I have to stop it and I particularly have to be stronger when someone's unloading to me I have to stop them because as you can imagine I get a lot of that so now I have to be better at saying go see that person but you need to do it with me me doing it the elders doing it the pastors doing it some of us doing it it's not going to do it the true story is told it was in a journal many many years ago now of a presbyterian church in the united states that a person came to that church they were a new person and they went up to somebody and they started to gossip about a second person and the first person stopped them and said stop we don't do that around here have you spoken to that person no will you go do that person went to another person a second person and said stop we don't do that around here have you spoken to that no we'll go do it they did it five times at the end of five times the person who was new to the church left thought it was one of the most unfriendly churches they'd ever been in <laughs> that's what we have to do we want everybody to be welcome we want to accept and include everybody but if you undermine others if you speak against others if you slander or you're malicious or you are not speaking the truth in love and you're not speaking it that way should hold each other's accountable we need to help each other in doing this now you're going to say to me gee you spent a long time on that yeah well there's a series coming on it as well it is a serious sin in the life of our church and the lord jesus is saying stop it so with his enabling we will 
Get rid of all of these things. Why? Because, verse 9, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, you've taken the clothes off, and you've put on the new self, that new set of clothes, which is being renewed in the image of its creator. It's not perfect. It is being renewed. It's a process in the image of its creator, Jesus. And in that new community, in that newness of that new creation, verse 11, here there is no Greek or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian or Scythian, no slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. The Greeks were the aristocrats of the ancient world and they knew it. And they looked down upon everybody else as unsophisticated. The Jews looked down their noses at all other nations in the world because they were God's chosen people. But in God's new kingdom, there is neither Greek nor Jew. One, a Christian. We follow Jesus. Circumcised and uncircumcised is again the distinction of religion. Jewish or outside the Jewish domain, non-Jewish. Barbarians were those whom the Greeks divided the world into. The barbarians were the uneducated, those who spoke bar, bar. So the Greeks called them barbarian. But even the barbarians had standards. They weren't as low as the Scythians, the Scythians, however you say that word. They were the savages. That even comes over into our language. We talk about people being savages. They're several layers, ranks below. But for these people, the Greeks had no time for them at all. But in the church, Jew, Greek, barbarian, the uneducated, the un uncultured, those who couldn't speak Greek, and even the lowest of the low, the Scythian. But then Paul even says, slave and free. The slave in the ancient world was not even considered to be a human. He was property, or she was property. They were a tool in their master's hand. They had no rights at all. There was no way in the ancient world that a slave could be sitting with and have fellowship with a free person. But in the church of Jesus, they did. In the church of Jesus, all welcome from all types and all were equal because Christ is all and in all. And they, like us, are out of prison. They, like us, have been buried and raised with him. They, like us, have been forgiven, have a new life. Not better than, equal to and the same as. When Jesus Christ rose and walked out of the tomb... He walked into a new life, and as we follow him, so should we. After, Je after the resurrection, Jesus left the tomb, the old life. So should we leave the old life. After his resurrection, Jesus spent his remaining time being and ministering to his disciples, particularly. So should we. Live our lives closely with one another. Hold each other accountable, serving and loving one another. After his resurrection, Jesus certainly lived by the supernatural enablement 
of the Spirit. So should we. In the power and the enabling of his Spirit living within us. And after his resurrection, the Lord Jesus looked forward to heaven, knowing that he would soon ascend there. So should we. Recognizing that our citizenship is in heaven. Put aside these things that Paul has listed. Put on the robes of righteousness of Jesus. Set your minds above and follow him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray again that you would do an examination of our lives and of our hearts and of our choices. Forgive us, Lord, when we put back on the old clothes, return to our old ways, where we contone and rationalise our sinful choices. Forgive us, cleanse us, and empower us to walk in newness of life. Lord, assist us to set our minds on things above, to seek you, and help us to treat one another equally in Christ. This is your will and we pray for it, Lord Jesus, that you might be honoured, pleased and glorified. We pray in your name. Amen.